stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant podcast. I am your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. 2019 is already moving right along, so we're going to go hard and try to keep that momentum rolling from last year. The episode you're listening to now is episode 20, and in it, we're going to start off by taking a quick look at some of my most anticipated films of 2019. Afterwards, we're going to have William Marcotte on the show, and we're going to discuss, finally, the 1992 X-Men animated series that aired on Fox, specifically Night of the Sentinels, Parts 1 and 2. We had a blast creating that content for you all, so I certainly hope that y'all enjoy listening to it as much as I did recording it. You know, that sentence I thought was going to work out a lot better. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe it did, maybe it didn't, I don't know. I suppose that we're just going to have to see. Y'all get comfy, because we are about to begin. Chances are, if you are listening to this podcast, you know that 2019 is going to be a very big year for movies. Some of these movies I am looking forward to a lot more than others, of course, but I am going to break them down here in order of my least anticipated all the way to the films I'm actually losing sleep over in my eagerness to view them. So keep in mind, these are my opinions, and I'm certainly not attempting to speak for everyone in regard to... uh, my attitude towards any particular upcoming film. So that said and out of the way, let's get started. I am going to begin with Toy Story 4, and I must say that least anticipated is not a great way to label this upcoming installment of the Toy Story saga, if you will. Um, I am excited about it because I've always loved the characters in Toy Story, and my daughter is at a great age where she finds a lot of joy in those types of films. The only issue I have with it is that I didn't particularly enjoy the sequels. Um, well, that's that's not entirely true. I did enjoy them, but very much not in the same way that I did the first Toy Story, and that very well could be owing to to the age that I was when I saw it. So, of course, I am keeping that in mind. Um, the subsequent films did not necessarily carry the same charm that the first one did, and that is with multiple rewatchings as as an older person. Um, so I definitely am hoping that, that the next movie is not an attempt to duplicate itself. Even so, there is always something to love in each of those films, and I always enjoy seeing which toys will make an appearance on screen. That's always very cool. Next on my list is X-Men Dark Phoenix. I do place this a little lower in the ranking, though... In retrospect, I probably should have started with this one. I feel like the X-Men film universe is in dire need of an overhaul, um, or it needs to be recast and integrated and or integrated into the MCU, though I am keen on seeing Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. That's going to be pretty cool, I think. My interest in the X-Men has been rekindled lately, as you might have noticed, and I have spent a lot of time reading classic issues of Uncanny, and then I, I jumped way forward in time, kind, kind of like the X-Men, 
and Red Phoenix Resurrection, followed by X-Men Red, which is well Jean Grey-centric. Suffice to say, I have, I've got X-Men fever again, but I'm not necessarily counting on this film to satisfy. However, who knows? It could totally blow away all expectations I have. It could be a milestone for Fox and the rest of First Class. So really, we're just going to have to wait and see. I will be seeing it. Next up is Glass. Admittedly, it's been a while since I saw director M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable, but I do recall enjoying it quite a bit. I was, um, I would say it was a little easier then to stay spoiler-free and love them or hate them. Shyamalan's twists often come as a surprise to me, at least. Now, maybe I'm dense. I don't know. I didn't see the superhero element of that film coming. So for me, the surprise was still very pleasant. Now, flash forward 16 years, and I found Split to be even more entertaining. James McAvoy's character, or characters, if you will, were convincing to an unnerving extreme, and I sensed the supervillain element coming. My brain didn't make the leap fast enough as I, as I was watching the film, so I was still surprised by the connection to Unbreakable. Call me dense, naive, whatever. Don't care. The entertainment and fun that I got out of seeing Split was well worth the price of admission. So all in all, I'm very curious to see how and if this third film ties everything together. Very interested, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that movie. Again, it was very hard for me to decide where to place this film on this list, but I am going to give um, the sequel to last year's Infinity War, Endgame, number four on the list. There, there's certainly no lack of enthusiasm for this picture, but truth be told, I am still sort of reeling mentally from what the MCU is now referring to as uh, the decimation, the Mad Titan's abrupt and thorough decimation of uh, exactly half of the lives on this blue planet. So the decimation was a tough pill, and I've been reacquainting myself with uh, the MCU's canon as I prepare for the conclusion to Infinity War. I may need just a little bit more time, which is actually exactly what our heroes will need if they're going to save the world. Am I right? Am I right? Keep those theories and predictions rolling, kids. Captain Marvel sits right in the middle of the list at number five. I don't know much about the character, honestly, apart from what you will hear in the upcoming segment with my brother. However, the less familiar I am with the character, the greater the chances that I can enjoy their film. There's more room for me to be surprised, more room for me to be entertained, and the urge to nitpick is so diminished. Um, so there's that. I am looking forward to that aspect of things. I am excited that it's set in the 90s, and I'm more than anxious to see what Carol Danvers has in store for the Marvel Universe. Just why did Nick Fury wait so long to reach out to her for help? Where was she during the decimation? I feel pretty certain that we're going to get an answer to at least one of those questions, and um, I'm very much looking forward to that. And I'm also very excited to welcome Brie Larson to the MCU. I will be willing to bet you dollars to donuts that she's going to knock it out the park. So fist bump. You can't see that, but but that's uh, that's that that was there. At a surprising spot at number six, 
I have Spider-Man Far From Home. Now, Spider-Man was my favorite hero as a kid, so it's fitting that this movie is going to sit a bit higher in the ranking still. Um, I adore Tom Holland as the wall crawler, and I am so pleased that a kid is playing Peter Parker. You have no idea. Actually, you probably do have an idea of how happy that makes me, because if you're a Spider-Man fan, you probably know what I'm talking about. No more 50-year-old dudes playing Peter Parker. Okay, like we're, we're good with that. Um, so that said, he has uh, Tom Holland has proven that he's got the chops for it, especially with Pete's uh, quick wit and motor mouth. That is... So I am keen to see how Spider-Man has grown since we last saw him. And uh, I will give you just one word to define what I am most thrilled about. Okay, you ready? Mysterio. I thought that the as-of-yet-untitled Star Wars film would take the last slot here, but alas, I'm a bit overcautious with my enthusiasm this go-around. I know, but I really do have faith that J.J. Abrams will deliver a wonderful conclusion to the Star Wars saga films, and I think he'll give us an ending that is worthy of, of Star Wars, that is worthy of fans, and worthy of the history books. Now, I know two things to be absolutely true. Number one, I do not envy J.J.'s position in being the one to end the final trilogy. He's he's probably very aware that no matter how well he does, he's going to catch hell. So I sincerely wish him all of the best in his endeavors. Second, I know that whatever the outcome, seeing the Skywalker saga come to a close is going to be bittersweet. Claiming the last slot on the list of my quote-unquote most anticipated films for 2019 is the one-off DC film Joker. Joaquin Phoenix is portraying on screen the ace of knaves himself, and so far I gotta say, like right out of the gate, this is looking amazing. Um, The filmmakers have not been shy at all when it comes to showing Joker in full-blown clown prince of crime regalia, and... To this guy, it looks like Mr. Phoenix has taken full-on mother effing control of the character. From the production stills I've seen, it looks like the costume has a 70s vintage aesthetic. Well, given the time, which I believe is the 1980s, that would make it uh, make it vintage or retro, if you will. The greens in the shirt are just a little bit more blue. The purple of the suit's a bit more burgundy. And the suit jacket's uh, flared lapels really set the whole thing also. Noting the makeup, it is definitely more Pogo the Clown than um, our more traditional comic book-based appearance, but with the suit and the makeup, I'd say that it seems very fitting for the period in which the film is set, which again, I believe is is the 80s. There still isn't very much known about the plot of the film, but production stills and videos from behind the scenes do suggest that we're probably going to see some type of origin story. And it looks like it's going to take a lot of cues from Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, which anyone who knows me probably knows that I'm not unhappy about that at all. Um, I'm beyond thrilled for the picture, as my love for the character runs pretty deeply throughout my life. It's it's a long, sort of drawn-out and deranged discussion um, that would need to be held to demonstrate um, just how and, and why that went down exactly. And it, it's a tale I may tell. Um, sometime after this film is released in October of this year. So anyway, apart from my enthusiasm for the character, the Joker, um, 
I think this film promises some really interesting characters alongside Joker. Um, the cast does hold, uh, I'd say, heavy hitters uh, that do include Zazie Beetz and Robert De Niro. Also, Mark Marin plays a part in the film, so that you know that's pretty wacky. I'm 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 good with that though. I'm I'm really curious to see how his involvement in the picture plays out, and I'm I'm really excited about this one, guys. So number one on my list, I I cannot wait to see it. All right, well. By the time of this recording, I have become privy to a whole gaggle of films that I'm looking forward to that may or may not have been included in this list. So briefly, I'll just include some of the ones that I discovered and uh, maybe some of the ones that should have been on this list or, or are either way runners up. So there's Jordan Peele's follow up to Get Out titled Us. Now, this dude knows how he knows how to deliver an intense story and he knows how to to produce a visceral picture. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. There is Detective Pikachu, um, Dumbo, It Chapter 2, Hellboy, Zombieland 2, and even a new Terminator film. So 2019 is going to, it's going to keep me pretty busy and my wallet pretty empty. You can pretty much count on that. All right then, here is the moment You've all been waiting for now. Well, it, at least I have been waiting for this moment. In this next bit, I'll be playing a conversation I held with my brother, William Marcotte. Will and I share many interests, and he's a talented fellow, so I am stoked to get him on the show again. As you know, we will be talking about the first couple of episodes from the 1992 X-Men animated series entitled Night of the Sentinels, and that is parts one and two. I remember being incredibly fond of it as it was likely the first time that I really took an active interest in the X-Men. Also, as an aside, and what I think is a fun piece of trivia, this segment was my first idea for the Sleeping Giant podcast. This was supposed to have been the very first episode, effectively, but I am kind of glad that things developed the way that they did because um, I think in the least, I've become a slightly better podcaster since I began with my iPhone, and a pair of earbuds. So anyway, let's get on with it. Ladies and gentlemen, gals and guys, I present to you X-Men, Night of the Sentinels, a conversation. Will, you there, bud? I am here. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your Saturday to join me. I really appreciate it. Of course. Happy to be here. Well, this has been a long time coming. For those of you listening, this was actually what I wanted to do for the first episode of the Sleeping Giant podcast. This is how I originally envisioned kicking off the show, was to have my brother, William Marcotte, on to discuss the first two episodes of the 1992 X-Men animated series that aired on Fox back in the day. So, very happy to to have him here, very happy to start this. We both just watched the those two episodes, Night of the Sentinels, part one and two. And it seems like a very good way to start off the Sleeping Giant podcast in 2019. So I am stoked. Again, thank you very much, sir. Of course. Again, thank you. Absolutely. So in uh, in retrospect, Will, were you, were you a big fan of the X-Men cartoon when it was airing? Um, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if it was because... Uh, you were a big fan of it, and so I, I looked up to you and thought, wow, this must be great. Um, 
I seem to recall as time went on, I, th I think I was a fan of it in my own right. Um, but again, that was mm, how many years ago? 27, 1992? <laughs> that's, that's not important. So what, what, what is important, though, is that this did air... The first episode aired on October 31st of 1992, mm. and it was based on select issues of Uncanny X-Men, which you can pretty well tell that, that those some of the themes and some of the plot points were, were more or less cherry-picked. Or Of course, I say it's easy to tell. That might be because I'm a little bit more familiar with, with the series. Um, but I thought it was a great place for the cartoon to begin. Um, so before we kind of break break these down what was your impression of it what what does this show mean to you well i can tell you what it meant to me as a child was um that these were heroes obviously uh and that's what the majority of popular comic books were uh in especially in the 80s and 90s um were these big flashy heroes but also people that were doing the right thing in spite of other people wanting to put them down, which I feel like had a big impact on me um, growing up and becoming the adult I am now. Um, now, watching it yesterday, yesterday evening, it does mean a little, it's a little different now. Um, watching a cartoon that I feel like didn't necessarily have the budget that it needed uh, in 1992. So uh, I can say that it's it's still a worthwhile watch, um, but it, it I don't know if it's aged as well as it could have. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, but it's still pretty good considering. Uh, it doesn't age as well as, say, Batman, the animated series. Oh, right. That is just that's timeless and gold and, <laughs> and 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 will go down in history. I think that's just outstanding. But X Men, I feel, did age well enough, um, mm -hmm. at least well enough for me to want to continue watching the series, especially now that my daughter is interested in that sort of thing, um, and she just watched them with me again. Mm. And uh, so I would like to continue watching the show. I wasn't turned off by it by any stretch of the imagination. I thought it was still very good. So you, you kind of mentioned that it meant one thing to you as a child and it means a little bit more to you now at this point. What, what are the differences apart from the animation style itself? Well, the watching this, it, it I feel like it is kind of heavy handed. Uh, some might even call mm -hmm. it ham fisted the way they, they did it, but it is a show for kids. Uh, I think that was the intention, but it's still an important thing. I feel like for a person of any age to understand that people, and, and you know, I am going to get pretty heavy handed myself, uh, but sure. it, it's important for people to understand that people can't help um, being who they are, the way they were born. Um, and that is repeated time and again in these episodes. You know, Jubilee mm -hmm. even says, you know, I, I can't help being born a mutant. You know, it's it's not my fault that this has happened. It's just who I am. And especially over the last few years, uh, in this, the 
the current state of the U.S. is sure. Uh, I don't want to say it's becoming more unfriendly for um, people. No, you can go. You can go ahead and say that because <laughs> I, I don't think you would be wrong. I, I wonder if it's just you know these this animosity was there. It's just people feel like they they can come out with that animosity right. more vocally than they normally would have. Um, sure. I definitely think that those those allegories are there, especially when um, the X Men were first introduced into comics and and not necessarily popular culture at the time, but just uh, I guess the comic book reading culture and, and community. You know, I mean, you you had um, all all manner of civil rights issues that were going on that I think were probably very pertinent um, to the series, and then of course there is the allegory to the uh, the LGBTQ community, which you know, is still, as you mentioned, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel <laughs> that that was probably what you were alluding to, you know, when we're talking about the unfriendly climate of, uh, of society today. I would almost venture that the X-Men are even more, I don't want to say even more relevant or, or perhaps necessary now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I got out of it. it, it it's kind of ironic to me that I've come full circle in my interest in the X-Men because I'm reading a lot of the older books now. Um, after Claremont took over in 75, I think, with issue number 94, I'm reading these books and I'm just I'm floored by how relevant they are mm-hmm. and how, how some of the things that are going on in these books I don't look at them and go, oh, wow, things sure were different back then. I'm reading these books from the mid-70s, and I'm like, oh, my God, either nothing has changed or we are right back where we started. Um, and, and normally I wouldn't want to you know, enter this kind of conversation for the show, but I think that, I think that the X-Men, that's the foundation that they're, that they're based on. Is, uh, and as you said, you know, helping people to learn and understand that every human being they were born the way that they are. And that's not going to change, you know? Um, so I would say that the X-Men's one of their founding principles, I suppose of the X-Men would be uh, tolerance, which I think is never irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I agree. The, uh, the X-Men, uh, I don't remember when the very first issue was, but uh, I'm sure it was, either in the midst of or right after uh, the majority of the civil rights movement, um, which was more about race uh, than anything else, but nevertheless had a a broad impact on other things. You mentioned the LGBTQ community, um, which, you know, some people out there will try and tell you that that's orientation, sexuality, et cetera, is a choice as well. But uh, I, I, that's something I don't <laughs> we, subscribe to. We disagree with those people. Right. <laughs> we, um, we can say say that pretty pretty strongly and, and with certainty. Right. And even if it were, it's none of my business. So with, with the kind of environment, uh, the kind of political and societal climate that, that we have established for the X-Men and that translating very well to the show in 1992... The show opens with Victor Creed. He's he's downtown in a downtown area trashing cars. I think the cops are there. And that's on the news that Jubilee and her folks are watching at her home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show sort of opens with uh, with them discussing whether or not they should register Jubilee 
as a known mutant with uh, with Gyrix agency, and I think that they ultimately decide to do that. And, and it was so it was very kind of heartfelt and and very you're kind of wrenching really to see her parents talking about her in that way and with her listening before she scampers off to the mall. Mm-hmm. So it started very emotionally. I feel. I mean, did you catch that or did you feel that way? I did, uh, especially. I think by the time that we join um, her foster parents, uh, they have already decided, or the father, oh, okay. the father at least, has already decided to register her. Who is uh, Ray Stance? He by is the way. Ray Stance. <laughs> that was my first right. note. Um, was that her her foster dad is Ray Stance of the Ghostbusters, Heart of the Ghostbusters? Um, it's a dead I ringer. I don't know if it was the same voice, but whoever the mm. animator was for that clearly took inspiration uh from the ghostbusters cartoon um, oh yeah absolutely but i'm glad you said that uh, because otherwise <laughs> i was gonna have to bring it up at some other moment but yes um so he's decided to do it and his wife jubilee's foster mom is saying was it the right thing to do and he says well it, it's you know it's like a program it's not like a prison um yeah and, and i feel like you know people are always misled uh into thinking you know oh no it's fine but bottom line is if if there's something that's going to attempt to change or constrain um the way that your child is you probably shouldn't send them there Um, (laughs) right now um but yeah so no i agree And, and she's listening to them and she's thinking to herself you know why uh, and then she does as any teenager in the early '90s would do, and goes to the mall uh, to play and in the pulled arcade. Pulled a John Connor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, she didn't have a whatever that actor's name is, Budnick. Um, oh yeah, yeah, to help screen her from the authorities. Everybody needs a scrawny, redheaded, mulleted friend. Oh yeah, I think to to ride nut to butt with you on a uh, dirt bike. <laughs> I think. Yeah, the sound of Man, the dirt bike that. is burned into my memory. Mm-hmm. So she she goes to the mall where the Sentinel attempts to apprehend her. Now, you had mentioned earlier that it was a little heavy-handed, and I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there that when I was a kid, I totally missed that um, that the whole Sentinel attack was the direct result of her parents having mm. registered her. Because as the Sentinel encounters the X-Men, it's like unregistered mutant expendable. And I was like, oh, they registered her, and that's why the Sentinels are after her. So either I was just a really stupid kid, or <laughs> um, or maybe it was just uh, a little bit more involved. You know, well, I was more into the action. Right. That's that's not necessarily what I mean is uh, heavy-handed. And I think ham-fisted is a better way to put it. Because later mm. in the episode, when... Uh, it's more the exposition um, that I'm thinking of. Like, for example, when Rogue uh, is on the mission to infiltrate the facility, they land mm-hmm. and they get out and she's immediately like, boy, I remember when I was a teenager and the this oh, is yeah. an exact description of my powers. Um, right. But but no, yeah. the I As I mentioned, I don't really remember watching the first episode um, mm-hmm. as a kid. I remember the second episode, especially the convertible line. 
but yeah um i don't really remember watching the first episode but as an adult it was apparent to me that yeah the sentinels were coming after her because of that registration gotcha Um, but there's a few other examples where they they could have explained kind of what was going on a little better but we'll we'll get there sure you mentioned the exposition and that is something that i wanted to touch on being the pilot episodes you know, I mean, I guess you can only do so much to carry the storyline forward and, and use so many narrative tricks. So I definitely agree with you on that point that, you know, under normal circumstances, that's not how people would talk to each other. Right, right. <laughs> In order to, but, you know, I'm thinking while I'm watching this, too, I'm being very critical of it. And then I'm thinking to myself, but if I was reading this panel by panel... Sure. You know, it would be a lot like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, some of the comics from, you know, uh, 30 years ago. Oh, wait, it's not 30 years ago anymore, <laughs> is it? It's more like, oh, shit. It's like, 40, so I guess 50. 40 or, yeah, 40 or 50. Yeah, those, the comics, uh, the panels are filled with, uh, you know, narration. And there's a lot more dialogue that carries the story forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, well, this is not too dissimilar from the comics that I'm, that I'm reading now, you know, going back and reading some of the uncanny stuff, but I totally get what you're saying. And you're, you're absolutely right on that point. <laughs> you know, it's like, boy, that sure reminds me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, so, you, you um, make a fair point also in that it's the pilot episode and someone right. watching this for the first time may not know who the X-Men are and they need that. Like, I'm going to spell out for you now who the X-Men yeah. are. Um, so they might exactly exactly so they're in the mall and the sentinel comes to try to apprehend jubilee and none other than uh who do we have storm rogue Mm -hmm. and uh gambit i think right are in the mall and i think it's interesting that storm and rogue are not wearing their uniforms but for some reason gambit is wearing that get up in the mall (laughs) he can't take it off i I don't you know Apparently, you know, and uh, I also noticed that Storm changes her clothes. They sort of transfigure into the uniform, which, by the way, I didn't know um, was also reflected in those comics. Um, Mm. I was reading, I can't tell you right off the bat which issue it was. It was in the 90s or the low 100s after Storm, you know, joins the team and giant size X-Men. And she did the same thing. So I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, they've lifted this from the comic i still don't get it (laughs) anyway so uh the point is gambit's a weirdo and he's wearing this get up shopping for what i'm not really sure i know that playing cards are involved at some point Mm -hmm. um flirting so they're there we don't even know what kind of store but they sell playing cards right so the sentinel attacks they're all deemed um what was the word irrelevant expendable to the sentinel expendable yes because they're after jubilee and of course uh they rescue miss jubilation lee and take her back to Mm -hmm. the x mansion which again brings us to that wonderful expository method that you've uh (laughs) that you've become so such a fan of in this episode yeah Um, i'm 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 cooler on it now you know i've cooled down (laughs) since you made that point about the pilot yeah, well, I'm I'm glad I'm I'm glad that we could kind of, uh, you know, kind of help you come come to grips with that. <laughs> so, um, so they're in they're in the X mansion at this point, 
and Jubilee sort of, she's kind of exploring, which reminded me a lot of Hugh Jackman and the 2001 X-Men. Do you remember right. that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I kind of thought that maybe, I don't, want, I don't want to say that it was a throwback. Uh, I don't want to say that 2001 was a throwback to, um, or rather that, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, that 2001 was a throwback to this episode. I just think it was a great way to tell the story or mm-hmm. to um, sort of develop that exposition that, or move that exposition forward that we need to kind of get an idea of, of who they are and what they do. Is there a, was there any point there that, that you wanted to comment on? Uh, I think Beast's introduction was great. Um, that ah, yes. she kind of sees this blue monster, but then he's you know conducting experiments and speaking very eloquently. Um, I think that Beast he's one of my favorite characters um, for sure, um, but because I myself am a large man that considers myself to be fairly intelligent. So I, I had that connection, I felt like. Um, but the um, then I think she sees Jean and the professor, and then she stumbles into the danger room. Um, mm-hmm. And so when she accidentally activates uh, a certain protocol, uh, Gambit and Wolverine, oh, by yeah. randomly pressing buttons on the console... Um, now that was disconcerting yet provocative. <laughs> exactly. Um, if you don't get that reference, go back and watch Night of the Sentinels Part One. Um, but so then Gambit and Wolverine bust in, and mm-hmm. I was wondering, are they holograms because that's the protocol, or do they just show up when that protocol starts? I thought that was a little strange that they were there, um, or maybe it started because they turned it on. Yeah, I was thinking that. Um, so I know that Wolverine is very clearly there. When it, he he has one of the best lines, I think, from these first two episodes. And maybe it's not the best line. I just really am partial to it when he's fighting Gambit. And he's like, have you had enough Cajun? Just say, oncle. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, some of the best dialogue. My wife really liked um, when he said, out of the way, gumbo. In the second <laughs> um, yeah, he's full of them. They definitely give him some of the better lines. Uh, I I did get tired of hearing one line from Wolverine though. Um, Should I guess? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> no, go no, go ahead. I, I want to hear you. Say I think it. you know what it is. Um, mm. I go where I want to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, I get it. You're you are your own man. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Nobody puts Wolverine in a corner. Yeah, exactly. And and that did resemble Roadhouse in in part two a little bit. Oh yeah, which uh, which aspect? When when he's when he's in playing uh, pool with the the guys. Mm. And oh yeah, he's put in a corner, so to speak. Oh, that was uh, that well the the line was from. Oh, uh, that's Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. My bad. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, I, no, I get my good. Patrick Swayze movies mixed up. Uh, is Ghost no, the one do. where he's a bouncer? Uh, and I think he's like he's making pottery in in the corner of the bar. Yeah, and, I, and somebody I, gives him grief for it. Yeah, maybe I'm mixing these up. Whoopi Goldberg is there. Uh, oh yeah. Anyway, um, and somebody's a nun. She's a nun. Right. Now we're branching. Oh wait, way no. Far I think of, yeah, uh, we've got off. There's a dinosaur the detective. 
<laughs> Wait, what the fuck? See, now what's happening, though, is you're, like, cracking all of these avenues open in my brain to places that I haven't been since I was a child. So now Oh, I'm yeah, really go back confused. and watch our next episode, Theodore Rex discussion. <laughs> Please no. Hey, I'm down. But, yeah, so that that was my, my only issue was where did Gambit and Wolverine come from in the danger room? But mm-hmm. um, I, I think it was fine. Uh, I do prefer that extra little wrinkle that the 2001 movie added of, um, I almost called him Picard, uh, Professor Xavier knowing that Wolverine is awake and talking mm-hmm. to him um, telepathically. I feel like that would have been a good little extra thing in the cartoon. And chances are somebody that watched the cartoon when they made the movie in 2001, they were like, oh, yeah, that would have been a good idea to to have the professor talking and calming him down and being like, hey, man, it's cool. Uh, this place is super And unfamiliar. it was cool. And it was cool. It was extremely cool. Did you have any so, other notes on that scene? Um, not, not really. In fact, I didn't really have any other notes on the episode um, in particular, other than Wolverine's one-liners. You know, I <laughs> think they were just... Uh, they were fantastic. Uh, I do uh, want to know uh, if you don't have any other notes. There, there's a couple things I want to mention about the first episode, but they're not terribly serious. Yeah, go serious. for it. Absolutely. I want to know who Beast was quoting. Um, what poet? He said a minor poet for a minor inconvenience. I think. Yeah, I, I heard that as well, and I was like, "Well, who's the minor poet?" Right, and I was like, "Also, that's kind of not cool, man." I don't think he thought he was a minor poet. But he's probably (laughs) long dead, so he probably doesn't care. Um, Oh, uh, also, Jubilee leaves the mansion. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, like, and Carrington, my wife, agrees with me. I don't remember her leaving at all. I I just remember her getting off a bus, uh, Mm -hmm. trying to get back to her parents' house. And we looked at each other and we were like, when did she leave? Was there a a scene I missed or is that just, oops, she's gone? Yeah, I'm not sure. There were a couple instances where I had to look back up and rewind because I was trying to take the notes for Mm. the show as I was watching it. And I was like, okay, I've got roughly 19 minutes to do this. And then I know that you only had so much time. So I kind of let some things ride. Mm. Um, But uh, one thing that I did note about these episodes was that apparently they were unfinished when they were submitted mm. to Fox. And uh, and I don't know if they were ever finished or remastered or whatever, because I was watching it, and I noticed this a few months ago when I watched it with my daughter, and then my wife pointed it out earlier that <laughs> there are some scenes where Storm's eye just goes crazy. Oh, no, I missed that. <laughs> like the, the pupil gets huge, and then it's small again. <laughs> it's oh, just gosh. It's really it's off-putting. I did so, notice that. So, yeah, there were that. some things that... Uh, I did notice um, at one point, I think it's at the beginning of the second episode. um, I think it's when the Sentinels um, take out Beast um, that Cyclops turns and starts giving orders. And his face and visor are the same color. Uh, Mm. Unfortunately, it's yellow and not the, the skin tone he's supposed to have. So his whole face is like Simpson yellow. Uh, just yeah, for a brief weird. second, I was like, oh, I didn't see that. Oops. Yeah, I, I need to go back and look for Storm's eye, though. 
So the second, or excuse me, the first episode ended a little abruptly, or at least I thought it did. I, mm-hmm. Because in my memory, Morph and Beast were captured at the end of that episode, but that doesn't actually happen until the beginning of the second episode. Right. That was my memory, so there, too, even though, as I yeah. said, I don't really remember watching the first episode. I figured it would happen then, but no, it's it's like, oh, there's a bunch of guards in the next room. They reach for the door handle, mm-hmm. and credits. It's over. Yep. So to backtrack, they're there because they are trying to obtain the files that the mutant registration agency has, um, assuming on all the mutants that have been registered. So they're trying to obtain mm-hmm. that information. I guess so that they no longer have it to keep those mutants safe, I would imagine. Right. They're, they go there to destroy the hard copies and the computer files. Okay. So they are there, and that is where things go uh, a little haywire, a little pear-shaped, a little <laughs> backwards, mm-hmm. as you might say. Um, they are overrun by Sentinels. Right. And Cyclops demands that everyone retreat. Beast is incapacitated by a fence, I think. Where he's and, blasted into the fence, yeah. and then Ah, uh, blasted, him. falls into the fence, and then Morph is straight up evaporated <laughs> by a sentinel, I'm guessing. Yeah, you don't uh, see what happens. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm fuzzy on that, and I'll tell you why. Because all of these other X-Men are taking huge hits from these hand, the literal hand cannons right. of the sentinels, and then Morph gets hit, presumably... And dies. So I'm not sure if the other mutants had a higher constitution, like Rogue and <laughs> Wolverine. Rogue for what? sure. Because Mor- yeah, Morph just seems a little out of place on that team. Well, um, I think it's, uh, I assume it's because, you know, they, they needed an additional mutant to uh, be evaporated, so to speak. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I guess that maybe you could argue the reason that he was so weak is because his physiology doesn't really allow for anything so my guess is his bone structure is something that would be completely incomprehensible to me um and so maybe he has weak bones weak muscles because he shifts all the time okay i'll Uh, take it him getting blasted is uh much more devastating than it would be to someone like rogue especially who is nearly invulnerable. Sounds perfectly reasonable to me. So Morph being on the team, by the way, was always a bit of a mystery to me because it's my understanding that that character had a very brief appearance in the comics some time ago, but was not mm. seen again, at least in my memory, in Age of Apocalypse. Mm. Do you but, remember that? Yeah, he was completely white. Is that right? With a featureless yeah, face so. except for eyes. I want to say. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the chameleon yeah. uh, from Spider-Man yeah. a little bit. But I would like to say that that's something I don't know a whole lot about, and I just haven't really taken the time to investigate it. I'm sure that it's on somewhere on the internet at this point. <laughs> um, but if anyone, if anyone is out there listening to this and they do have that info, then by all means shoot it to us because I would love to feature it and have that question answered for the show. Um, so I think, uh, Marvel mythos, <coughs> if you're listening, um, <laughs> that's, uh, I need, I need some expert advice and help in this particular situation. Okay. So 
Morph is killed, Beast is incapacitated, the X-Men retreat, and Wolverine is pissed off. Yeah. Um, to say that, the least. That, to me, I, I think is something that I did not expect uh, in watching a children's show is what I would assume is survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like the, the story of First Blood, which is one of the Rambo movies, and if you haven't seen it, it's really good. It's not Rambo blows stuff up. It's right. man with survivor's guilt and PTSD comes back to America and is not treated well. Um, but yeah, I did not expect to to witness some of this stuff in a children's cartoon. That was something that I noted as well. Um, of course, they're playing on the conflict between Logan and Scott, mm-hmm. which you know is always was always present throughout the comic, so it's a good throwback. But I do want to address that. You're absolutely right. That conflict is very real, and it seemed pretty mature, mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned. So, again, very surprising to see that in a show like this. And it seems to kind of waver or go back and forth between levels of maturity and mm-hmm. and cheese. You know, like sometimes <laughs> it's blatantly cheesy, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is not fit for human consumption. And then at other times, I'm like, wow, this is not fit for a child's consumption. But I think that that, that those two things, like, they vacillate, I, I think, well enough that, you know, some type of equilibrium is achieved, and it, and it makes it a pretty good show. I would agree with that. Um, I, I don't know if you and I had discussed in the past uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, mm-hmm. It came out in 2005, um, and I had... Oh, are you talking about the show? Or Correct. the Shyamalan movie that everybody uh, hates. No, 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 no. Not that. Um, I actually saw that before I watched the show, uh, and mm-hmm. I was appalled even then. Um, but the show came out in 2005, and I, I had just graduated high school. wasn't really watching Nickelodeon much anymore. It wasn't like a I'm too cool for that. It was just I don't really watch uh, Nickelodeon anymore. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny you said that. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, whoa, are, what, you're, you're too good to watch right. cartoons? Well, obviously <laughs> not. <too> <laughs> um, now that I'm in my 30s, I guess uh, I'm I'm back to who cares? I'm going to watch cartoons. Um, but no, so I, I went back and watched it in early 2018. And if you haven't watched uh, The Last Airbender, the cartoon, it's one of my favorite television shows, period. Uh, it's on up there with uh, Carnival as one of my favorite TV series. Wow, that's um, good company. Indeed, uh, and so it's it's a children's show as well that has, I think, if you amped up, um, what we saw in this episode, these two episodes mm-hmm. of the X Men animated series, um, the adult themes, you would see more of that in the last, or you would get the Last Airbender if you amped that up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a very unflinching view of um, growing up too fast. Um, oh wow! And um, I won't go too far into it, but basically, the the main character is twelve years old when he's told that he's this all powerful being that has to save the world, and it's too much for him, so he runs away, but ends up getting frozen in ice for a hundred years, and everyone he and, loved. And that's sorry. I was going to say, is that the character of Ong? 
Aang. Uh, so he's called Ang in um, in the movie for some reason, um, but he's called gotcha. Aang in the in the series. Um, but yes, he's he's frozen for a hundred years, and everyone he knew and loved is long gone, um, except for a few characters. Uh, by the time he gets unfrozen, and so that in and of itself is a huge thing to put on a child. Um, but that mm-hmm. just keeps happening uh, throughout those those episodes of that show. Gotcha. And so I, I well, kinda... you are the second. Sorry, you're you're the second person to within a few weeks to tell me that uh, that everything about the Shyamalan movie was wrong. It needs to be burned <laughs> with fire, and that I'm doing a disservice to myself by not watching that show. So yeah, I may may have to may have to get on that. Please do. If nothing else, uh, try and find a comparison of uh, earth bending is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Try and find a comparison of earth bending of the movie and earth bending in the show. Gotcha. Um, Okay. I will, I will certainly make a note of it. uh, But yeah, the, there were some pretty grown up things um, that they were putting in the eyes of children, which I think is a good thing. um, Because, you know, if you tell a child, everything's going to be okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind that, of a lie. It's kind of a lie. I mean, ultimately, I, I feel like things turn out okay, but they won't always be okay. Uh, and so if a cartoon shows you, oh, yeah, everything's going to be okay, uh, that's not how life works. Um, and, right. you know, while they win, uh, spoiler for those who didn't watch these episodes, they win. Um, but while they win, it, it's not like... They didn't lose someone. It's not like their problems are just aren't just beginning. All these are things they have to keep in mind, even though there's victory there. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that certainly is life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Which, uh, which often in life, you may find that you have a friend or teammate that has ripped the top half of your motor vehicle <laughs> off and cast it aside uh, under the pretense of doing you the solid of creating a convertible. <laughs> no, so Carrington said, I obviously I remember that line as a child, tell Scott I got him or made him a convertible. Um so that happened and Carrington said, "Oh, now he's got a drop top." <laughs> and then Wolverine <laughs> said, "Tell him I made him a convertible." And I was like, "Look at that." Awesome. Um, so also So that was part he, of the fallout. Right. Uh, Wolverine is very upset, pissed, um, and yeah, he he angrily leaves the mansion, but on his way out, um, vandalizes um, hmm. Cyclops's car by cutting the top of it off. With with Jean in company, and she tells him that uh, as he's dri- as he's already driven away, you know, she says it wasn't Scott's fault, and as Wolverine is driving away. Hmm. You know, tearfully, she says it wasn't your fault either, which right. I think kind of goes back to what you were saying about the guilt that Logan was probably feeling. Right. So he kind of goes off and, and does his sort of sunset reminiscence thing and um, swears vengeance mm-hmm. against the Sentinels for Morph, which was pretty cool, I thought. And as he's out and about, and this this goes back to the level of detail in this show that in my opinion, really adjusts some of its shortcomings. One, I forgot to mention, and that was in, I think, the flashback sequence or a flashback sequence when Morph is running 
behind everyone. He like stumbles and falls into the door, which had no relevance whatsoever to the scene. It was just very real. And I thought that mm. it was cool that the animators included that. And when Wolverine is off kind of doing his private investigation, as it were, there's that sort of Jack Nicholson character in the bar. <laughs> um, you know, you know what I'm talking about the the sort of redneck guy, which which goes to show clearly that rednecks are everywhere. But he's wearing mm. a Freemason belt buckle. Oh, I didn't. Which I that. thought was yep. There's the uh, the G and the compass, very mm. clear and very distinct. And I'm just like, you know, it's those little details mm-hmm. in this show that really elevate it a lot uh, above a lot of the other cartoons and children's programming at the time because again it doesn't have any particular relevance to the scene but if you're looking for it and you see it it, i don't know to me it just it it, it's the world when right when creators do that sort of thing it certainly fleshes Um, things out a little more so you you can believe that they are somewhere and not just on a backdrop that's colorful yeah exactly exactly so at this point i think cyclops is trying to uh, mend the bridge between him and Logan and mm-hmm. also advance the investigation into uh, who's responsible for these sentinel attacks. Mm-hmm. And he goes to visit, uh, he goes to visit Jubilee's foster parents, which I think that was just pretense, right? That was just a ruse mm-hmm. to get the sen- sentinel to follow him. Um, so he right. kind of goes and he says to Wolverine that he has a plan to find the sentinel's home base. And they kind of, I guess, um, they kind of make up more or less, right? And which the home base is in Detroit, Michigan. By the way, this is when I first realized that that was Ray Stance. Um, was was in that scene? Oh yeah, that uh, Jubilee's foster father looked exactly like Ray Stance from the real Ghostbusters. I, I thought it at the beginning of the first episode, but you're right; it, it was definitely cemented for me uh, <laughs> when when I watched that scene where Cyclops comes to visit him. I, I'm actually looking at my notes right here at this point in the conversation, and I I mentioned it earlier in the conversation, but I have here, parenthetically, Ray Stance is Jubilee's foster father, apparently. <laughs> he is. Because he, he totally is. Uh, um, it's a shame Egon wasn't there in the rest of the team. I know. I'm kind of curious to go and watch more of these episodes to see if they are there. Mm. So. During this whole thing, the president is on her exercise bike, like all presidents are, whenever they have you know important information to communicate to an underling. Uh-huh. Um, so she basically tells Gyrick uh, that he needs to fuck off because mm-hmm. if the X Men were, or if the mutants rather, were willing to risk their lives and freedom to obtain the information that he had been collected you know, maybe what he's doing is not such a good thing. So she can't, she has him cancel the Sentinel program. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then he goes back and he tells Bolivar Trask that they're moving their operation overseas because the president has a bug up her ass about, you know, civil rights. So yeah, that's where we are in the episode. The wounded Sentinel comes back and so do the X-Men. Right. Oh, um, to to clarify, I, I don't think we mentioned that, that um, when Cyclops went to visit Jubilee's foster parents, a sentinel showed up, he blasted the arm off and then said, okay, time to surrender. And Cyclops said, you got it, bud. Ah, um, uh, yeah. This, which was part of the ruse. Right. To, uh, to find where, to find where they were. I think Rogue says something about 
the 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 chicken going home to roost or something like that. <laughs> um, which she she had some amazing one-liners in the show, by the way. Oh, like the uh, you look as worried as a long-tailed cat in a room filled with rocking chairs. Yep, exactly. That's and, when Carrington uh, said, "We get it. You're from the south." <laughs> <laughs> so, there was another point where she drops one of the soldiers off and she says something like it's time for a moonlight swim don't get a moon burn <laughs> i was just like what <laughs> what does that even mean right oh a uh, quick aside about rogue um for those of you who may or may not know the captain marvel movie is coming out um and she's a very powerful superhero um and correct me if i'm wrong but that's the superhero that rogue got her well-known powers from is that right right it was carol danvers and her miss marvel incarnation Mm, gotcha um and i'm not even going to pretend that i am well versed in all of the iterations of carol danvers and miss marvel Mm -hmm. um because from my understanding that as with most comic characters there are several iterations and and uh, several instances where she's played different parts and sort of adopted different personae, as it mm-hmm. were. Right. Uh, I, but I, I would like to do a show uh, when when Captain Marvel comes out. I would like to to do something where we focus on that a little bit more. Cool. And Let's educate ourselves as well as the public who probably already is educated. But um, <laughs> we just you know bear with me, guys. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so they, uh, you're right. Gyrick tells, uh, Trask, we're going overseas, present cut our funding. And then the injured Sentinel shows up. Correct. And, and that's pretty much it. I mean, they, they trash the Sentinels and uh, again, the episode ended very abruptly. I thought there would Mm. be like a little bit more transition. They trash the Sentinels and, um, Jubilee leaves home and joins the X-Men essentially. Hooray. Um, so they're pretty are, succinct. Yeah, I think there's a couple things worth noting uh, about the mm-hmm. that final scene. Um, the obviously Morph is killed and Beast is incapacitated. Um, obviously, they rescue Jubilee and Beast when they storm the Sentinel facility, um, and then they handily defeat the Sentinels at the end. And somebody might say, "Well, why didn't they do this?" Um, to begin with, you know, how come they didn't handily defeat the Sentinels at, in, in the earlier encounters? Um, and I feel like there's, there's something important to be understood there that I don't know how often, um, you use a knife, uh, to cut things like vegetables, for example, um, vegetables. Is that what those are for? Uh, you know, it depends. <laughs> um, but do, ve- do vegetables scream when you knife them? You may be cutting the wrong vegetables. Um, mm. But um, so like if you're cutting something you've never cut before, you don't know how much force to apply. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And they so didn't know I, what, the, what they were dealing with. Right. Exactly. I feel like they were kind of holding back a little bit because they didn't know what it was. Um, but then by the time that they encounter them at the end of that episode in the Sentinel facility, they know what's going on. So they... They apply the proper amount of force at that point. Yeah, that seems perfectly reasonable to me. I mean, again, as I was watching the show, there were so many things that I was like, well, wait, but but how did, well, why couldn't, mm. but then I'm just like, okay, just, dude, it's a comic, number one, and number two, <laughs> it's a it's a cartoon. 
Um, right. But but if you wanted to look into it, if you wanted to investigate it further, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with your observation there. I mean, that sounds very reasonable to me. Cool. Um, another another quick little funny thing um, that happened while we were watching this uh, is the very beginning of the first episode. Um, you know, the foster parents are like, oh, we don't know what we're going to do with our little Jubilee. Um, mm-hmm. And Carrington, my wife, said, oh, I, her name is Jubilee. Um, I thought it was like her her hero name. And I said, like her nom de guerre. And, uh, and later, at the beginning of the second episode, Beast, a uh, storm blows away a bunch of people with wind, and Beast said, and I was wondering how she got her nom de guerre, and I was like, oh my god, I just said that, Beast. They're reading your mind. Right? Stop doing it. Get out of my mind, Charles. Retro, retroactively. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I thought that was an Boss. odd little thing. It is, it is, and I'm I'm always so thrilled when things like that happen. When you're going back and and rewatching this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, having watched these two episodes, does your opinion of the show improve, or has your opinion of the show diminished? Uh, honestly, I would say neither, uh, because I'm going into it kind of expecting a an early nineties cartoon with a limited budget. And Mm -hmm. that's what I got. Um, I was a little surprised to see some of the themes that were presented. Um, And and there, I actually thought of a couple different uh, quotes from other places while watching it. Um, The first one is HP Lovecraft, which I I know everybody nowadays is a big fan of. Um, Or not, depending on which way you go with that. But, I mean, I, I know a lot of people uh, take issue with his um, xenophobia and his racism. Um, unfortunately, I feel like that's where a lot of his art came from. Um, was that xenophobia and that racism? Um, because his he has a quote that's, as you used the word succinct earlier, it's the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Um, that is incredibly ironic. Yeah. And so with the X-Men, obviously, they're these are people that are flying around. Uh, they're people that are shooting lasers out of their eyes. Claws sprout out from their hands. And people freak out. Um, yeah, I could, I could, you know, when you put it like that, <laughs> I can kind of, can, can kind of identify. Uh, and Falcone says in Batman Begins very a very similar line, you always fear what you don't understand. Um, right. so, and, and unfortunately, even in real life, people kind of get swept up in mob mentality, especially with things they don't understand and mm-hmm. thus are afraid of. Um, and so I, well, I, I think f- one of the worst, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to, I was just going to say, I think one of the worst things that dovetails into the fear of the unknown is the rampant spread of misinformation mm. to be sure that, that comes with because you still don't know what the fuck you're talking about but, <laughs> but it's it's made 10 times worse because it's being supported by bullshit notions and ideas yeah it is unfortunate that now we have all the world's information at our fingertips and some people like to pretend that certain things are true and post them on social media as if they were 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to say, um, or at least when I started The Sleeping Giant, that, you know, things wouldn't get political, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, but this is this is my show, and I, I think that I'll say whatever I want. You know what I mean? And I'm just going to go ahead and put... I'm going to go ahead and put this out there for you. Vaccinate your children, okay? <laughs> Homosexuals aren't evil, okay? Uh-huh. uh-huh. And, and the X-Men is awesome. I'm with you 100% on all three points, especially or the Or would first that be one. the X-Men are awesome? X-Men is awesome? The X-Men are awesome? The X-Men franchise is awesome. Um, gotcha. The, the group of X-Men are awesome, I think. Uh, it's kind of like go. saying, I'm, like, if you're British-English... Um, Led Zeppelin are awesome versus us mm, yeah. in the United States would say Led Zeppelin is awesome. I think and it would. Yeah. I think the first time I ran into that, it was like metal hammer or something. And it said tool are, and I was like, tool are, Oh, collectively they are. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and that's the sad thing is that this, that's not even politics. It's, it's just being a human being people, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's time to time to get real. Indeed. But, um, that, with, Go ahead. After you. I was just going to say that um, there, time and time again in all kinds of media, we, we have to run into this um, of um, people being born the way they are uh, because in real life it continues to be an issue, not just in the United States, but all over the world. Um, and yeah, so I you you may not choose to, to get any more political later on. Uh, and feel free to cut out anything <laughs> that could be considered inflammatory on my right. part. But nonetheless, yeah, I, I think that what's presented in this episode of the X-Men animated series is that people can't help being born the way they are. Um, Jubilee repeats that over and over again. And I, I do call it ham-fisted, but in this case, it's necessary. That children are impressionable, and I, I like to think that this is one thing that you can impress upon your children without fear is that people are born being the way that they are and don't be afraid of something you don't understand. I wanted to ask this at the beginning of the episode, Will. Um, and it actually, it's not going to be fair to ask it because even mm-hmm. I don't know the answer. I just want to put it out there. I'm not a perfect person. And obviously I have many flaws that I need to discover and, and rectify However, I do think I'm a pretty open-minded guy, and I don't know if if watching the X-Men and reading the X-Men had a heavy influence in that. I don't know, and I can't know. I would mm-hmm. like to think that it did, but with that said, I think that that was kind of the point of the creation of these heroes and these comics, you know, is to is to get the ideas out there, and, you know, you're sending a message. And if the message was received, if that was rolled into my... My psychology and influenced me as I was growing. I think I'm a better I, person I, for it. I agree. I, I'm left wondering, like, what what things in popular culture influenced me, uh, or even things in my own household and my upbringing. What things influenced me to become the person I am today? And I like to think that the X Men um, franchise was a um, positive force when it comes to that. That it's it's helped keep me open-minded and rather than being afraid of something to, you know, seek knowledge when there's something I'm presented with that I don't understand. Absolutely. And of course, Star Wars having um, 
a tremendous impact as well. But that's uh, that's another conversation, and we will have it again and again and again, one more time Absolutely. and again before this series reaches its conclusion. But I think this is a really good space or spot to wrap this conversation up. Um, I want to say again, Will, thank you so much for joining me and and doing this. This was really fun. This is one of the things that I've wanted to do for a very long time, and we finally done it. So thank you. Of course, I appreciate you having me. You bet, man. Love you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Love you, too. Damn, that was a lot of fun. Big time thanks to my brother for hanging with me in that episode. You done me proud, son. I am not sure if we're going to move on down the line with the animated series, though I think it's likely we'll do maybe a few one-off episodes. Have yourself a Morlock Little Christmas and Red Dawn. Do come to mind as old favorites. I, I know I used to think that Omega Red was like the coolest thing to happen to the X-Men back in the day. So I don't know if we go back and and revisit that might not be the case. I don't know. We'll have to see, especially, you know, thinking Will's got me, um, he's got me thinking that I may dive into Avatar or Avatar or, or however it is you say that particular word. Y'all let me know though. You can always send emails to sgcardsandtoys at gmail.com or you can hit us up on our Facebook page, which is, of course, facebook.com slash sgcardsandtoys. Finally, I am always active on my Instagram page, and my handle there is, you guessed it, at sgcardsandtoys. So uh, I'm more than interested, of course, to know what you think. Shoot me an email. Shoot me a voicemail. Leave me a message on Facebook or Instagram. I'm definitely game. Now, I do want to mention that Marcos Matajevic of Collector Zone and yours truly will be hosting a live stream together every other Wednesday, it looks like. So keep your eyes peeled and on our social media channels for dates and times for those. As as it were, um, I think we are going to do them every, every other Wednesday, as I said, at 8 p.m. And that may change as we go on. But again, just make sure that you subscribe to our Facebook page for those updates. And while you're at it, check out the Collector Zone page on both Instagram and Facebook. Marcos and company have, they've really, they've outdone themselves in establishing what I would consider a fun and friendly collecting community. And I am more than pleased to say that I've met some truly awesome people in the Collector Zone Cantina, which is an exclusive group on Facebook um, for members of the CZ community. So just message any Collector Zone team member for details on how to join that community. And uh, they've got a lot of great deals for members too. So there's another incentive for you. Check it out, guys. Now, before we go, you may have noticed that I chose to share some of my personal thoughts and feelings about the world and the people in it in this episode. I... I think that as I've grown as a podcaster and become more comfortable behind the mic, I can promise now that that's not the last time that that is going to happen. I do understand that things like race, religion, sex, and sexual orientation are likely some of the largest issues at hand when it comes to real-life bigotry and prejudice, and I imagine that those issues aren't where hate and discrimination end. On the serious tip, though, I get that it is not as useful for another seemingly straight white dude to to go on about discrimination. So, so I'll stop there and just say that any of you out there, if you'd like to write in or send a message or, or voicemail or what have you, 
and, you know, sort of fill me in or maybe dispel something ignorant that I said. Or if you just feel, you know, like you want to talk and educate, you know, feel free. I can turn the gain down on the mic and I can put on the listening cap over the headphones. As Randy Newman so eloquently said, you got a friend in me. All right, y'all. That is the first episode of 2019 in the bag. I certainly hope that you'll be joining me for future episodes because we've got some excellent, excellent content planned. We've got some awesome guests lined up to join us. We've got contests, we've got giveaways, all sorts of shenanigans are going to be going down in and around the Sleeping Giant household and the Sleeping Giant podcast. So once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant podcast. Until next time, y'all. <laughs>